Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord. And others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Little known fact about my guest today, after over a decade of an incredibly successful career as a sitcom writer, he found himself at the end of what had been a very long chapter of heartbreak. He was dealing with a chronic disease, the death of his mother, a divorce, and what did he do? He wrote a screenplay and he directed it, and it's fantastic. It's called Long Weekend. And I'm so honored to have Steve Bazalone on the podcast. Welcome, Steve. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Stephen Bazalone. He is a successful writer on television, especially television comedies. Some of the shows he's written on include Happy Endings, Community, and The Goldbergs. And now he's a film director with his first film, which is called Long Weekend, which he also wrote. It stars Zoe Chow, Finn Whitrock, Damon Wayans, among others. He went to Emerson College. And I'm so thrilled to have this Emerson College graduate yep. on my podcast today. Um, I have watched so many things that you've written for. The Goldbergs have brought great joy to me and my family over oh, sure. the years. Kid. I do. Yeah, that's why. There you uh, go. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I I legitimately laugh too. And Wendy from the Goldbergs is mm -hmm. also in your movie and she's fantastic. She's great. Um, Always great in everything. Let me know that you had a good working relationship with her or she wouldn't have done your movie. I just have a lot of dirt on everybody. I just make it my point just to like really just sit through the trash and find what I can use against them. So they have to help me out in the future. So it's well, worked, it's worked so I far. wanted to talk to you um, about the casting process because getting people cast in an indie film is such a huge, huge part of the entire process, usually of getting it funded or even getting it to happen or for a first time director, not writer, obviously, because you also wrote the sequel to Twin starring Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, yeah, yeah. How did you get this amazing cast together? What was the process? Who did you not know before this movie was made? Um, before this movie I was made, the only person I didn't know was Finn. Uh, and Finn, I knew Zoe from Friends of Friends. Uh, we were 
um, that that sequence, there's a sequence in the movie where they go dancing in the in the dark, and I actually met her through that. A friend of mine, um, a woman who has a show on the Cartoon Network, her name is Julia Pot. It's called uh, Summer Camp Island. She in introduced me to this like weird, whimsical, magical thing where you go dance in the dark, and it's like incredibly emotional and cathartic because it's you can't see anybody and you just dance your face off. It sounds weird, and it is but it's also very cool. Uh, but I met her through that, through, cause she's just kind of friends of friends. So I knew her I mean, and you were dancing in the dark with her. Yes, there was at least on one occasion. So okay. we met there and I just kind of, we had a lot of friends in common. So that's, I knew of Zoe in that regard. We were not like tight by any means, but I like knew her to be like, oh, she's this charming actress. Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, Finn was the only person I didn't know. Um, and I am a, a big old, um, I guess the technical term is uh, Freddy, Freddy cat. Uh, I don't care for scary shit. So I, I didn't know her, know Finn from the things that he's most known for, like all his Emmy nominated shit, like all the yes. American horror stories. No, thank you. Did not care for it. Didn't okay. see it. So I knew him just from the things where he's like a little sweetie and like, um, uh, the big short and, you know, being an altruistic lawyer in Beale street and being a goofball in uh, a stupid and futile gesture. Those are the things I knew him from. I was like, okay, this is cool. And the finances were very high on him. And I met with him and uh, he was just immediately off the bat, just like super game and collaborative and like had a couple of questions, but more than anything, he's like, great, let's get into it. And I was like, I love it. Uh, so he was kind of like, you know, it's really just a movie with two people. Like everybody else, the the, the Finn's best friend character, Damon Wayans Jr. Um, has some heavy lifting to do, but it's really just so much about them. So like, we just had to lock those guys in first. And then after that, it was just fully nepotism. Just like me reaching out to like, hey, remember me? We're friends. Do yeah. you want to do this project where you just have to work for like a half a day or maybe yeah. two days? Does that sound cool? Uh, and just, you know, Jim Rash, Oscar winner Jim Rash and Wendy, and uh, Casey uh, Wilson, who's also a good friend. Uh, and so good in this movie. Oh, she's great. Casey and Damon are so perfectly matched in this film. They are so believable as a couple. You also got a great kid. Yeah, in the movie. his that name is Carter. Is so sweet. He's so sweet and so good. And he'd never done it before. And he was so game and you know, he was, I think he was four and a half. He may have just been, just been five, but he was, he was a little, a little tyke, but he was a ball of energy and was like, the thing that I was amazed by is like, there's one part where there's like a little bit of joke, like even Teddy has a cell phone. He's like, you do? And he's like, yeah. And that was like, that was not scripted. He was just like paying attention. Like so many actors who were adults don't like really listen in scenes yeah. and listening. I mean, he was also like, you know, looking down the barrel of the gun of the camera a bunch because he's five. Yeah, but yeah. mostly like he was just like uh, this little dynamo who was just so excited to be there. So was there a lot of that like, okay, sweetheart, but you can't, now I need you to do it again, but you can't look at the camera and then you there, just do it again and look at the camera. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was like a safety takes like after we like ran the whole scene through like, okay, let's yeah. just get yes, Carter's let's coverage. Let's just get his coverage, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I happen to also know Cassie David, who is mm -hmm. such a, I think has such a great comedic, unique voice. Um, and she talked to me a lot about, she's on the podcast actually. Um, and just talking about Emerson is a place that really um, seems to find itself populated with really funny people who mm -hmm. do comedy in that school, whether they're part of a comedy troupe, whether they find each other because they both love seeing comedy, but there's like- Yeah, it's always been true. It's always been known as like this bastion of comedy is like, you know- But why? Why, like, how did, what, why? I, you know, I, like Dennis Leary and Stephen Wright and like Laura Keitlinger and, and Jade Leno and- uh, but they were all there. They were all there and they all started okay. comedy troops and David Cross was there, even though he talks about how he hated it because then they went there for a year and then quit. But like, okay. just like all these comedy pilks came out of it. And it was um, the guy, one of my best friends, this guy named Dan Levy, a comedian who is also, uh, you know, a tele television writer as well, um, who I've worked with forever, who the Damon Wayans Jr. character is very much based on. Okay. He and I, and this guy, Eric Hutchinson, who wrote the song, the Forever, that Zoe sings in the movie. Beautiful. Um, he, yeah, it's it's wonderful. And he was like, you know, he's like a very successful singer songwriter. And that was like off of an album that he had come out in 2014 that he was like, I think you should use this because I was going to use another song that he'd never published. But uh, it just worked out well. But the three of us and a couple other of my very good friends, we started a troupe in, comp in college. Um, and Emerson 
and all of my all my best friends just are kind of that. Like my writing partner of ten years, this very talented woman named Annie Mebbin. She's also an Emerson alum, and she, you know, is married to my old roommate. And it's just like all of my best friends now are kind of Emerson. Wow. Kind of people that are, I think, just I mean, like every school, like there's a bunch of duds and you know idiots who are just like there for partying and drinking and and, and such, which we did a fair amount too. But there's just like a lot of people who are just really because it's such a specific school there's like a lot of people who just like very, just know what they want they have like a vocation is that why you went there yeah and you know i it is it definitely is because i i was like little actor boy like i i auditioned for all the conservatories and stuff mm -hmm. and you know got into there's a few i got waitlisted and there's a couple that i got into and but the thing that was i liked about emerson was like you could swim throughout all the different the different uh, uh different factions of, of education like you could right. do you could be it and do theater stuff, but you could also work on movies where like like North Carolina School of the Arts and CMU and, and even- Right, they're traditional stuff. conservatory programs that yeah, you go you through there. To, yeah. You had to do Tartuffe and shit for four years. You couldn't like do short films and dumb, you know, sketches about, about you know, cats farting. You couldn't do that because you had right. to be working on um, No Exit or whatever. Um, so, but I like that like Emerson allowed to allowed us to do that and also like it's kind of dumb and a joke but I think Emerson was the first school that ever had a as a comedy major now which is like I think kind of dumb but also cool that they're doing that and they're recognizing that that's like kind of their uh their niche their, their identity and their niche yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and it's a cool place like education wise eh, it's fine but like all the things that come along with it like all the people that you meet and all of the the uh the opportunity it provides outside the classroom like last night um, Eric Messerschmidt, a buddy of mine, was a class ahead of me. Like I worked on the, the first short film I ever did at Emerson, won you know an Oscar for cinematography. So like, there's just a lot of hustlers that come out of there, which is, I don't know, for me, I think is worth more than education. Is like, hustler the same as um, ambitious in your yeah. mind when you say that? Yeah, I think just like a lot of people who are driven and if they don't even know specifically what they want, they know where they generally want to be. Like I came out to be to LA to be an actor and did like, you know, bad zombie movies and a bunch of commercials and shit. And that was cool. It was fine. Mm -hmm. I did okay. Mm -hmm. But it was also like, I, uh, I, I was never, I, I, I'm just like anxious or just like too type A. Like I just didn't want to sit around and wait to like get auditions. And there's only so many things you can do to be proactive as an actor, yeah. like, you can like take classes. Yep. And like try to do a workshop. resume out. Right. Yeah. yeah, but that shit always like felt gross and sycophantic to me. And I didn't like that. So I was just more about like, well, you know, I remember getting scripts and be like, ooh, baby, I really hope I get to be in this piece of shit. And then be like, well, I can probably write a piece of shit. Like that's bad. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I can mean, write I like, that badly. Yeah, exactly. I'm not gonna do anything good, but I can do that bad. But were uh, you writing like were you always writing? Were you writing stuff in high school? Were you or was this something you came to during those hours of unemployment as an actor? Uh, it was, I was always doing a little bit. Like I, I would write short plays and stuff and sketches in high school a little bit, but not a ton. And then in college, it was like, really, I always say like, I, I really majored in, in comedy troupe and traveling. Like I traveled a fuck ton and I just did comedy. And cause like the classes, like it was kind of like, you know, some of them were, were taxing and tough. Most of them, like, you could kind of, like... You could coast. With one, like, of your brain lobes tied behind your back, you could kind of get through it. Like, I graduated, like, magnum cum laude, and I think I, like, never sweated much of anything. That's um, impressive. Well, maybe you're really, maybe you're really smart. I think I'm fine. I just think it's more of just... I think, like, the thing that, like, I went to public school, out, I went to Montessori school up until I was in fourth grade and then went to public school. And I think the best thing that public school taught me was like the art of bullshitting because I would just be like kind of lazy and, and just like, you know, figured out how to charm my way through things. Like anytime there's like, you can do a book report or you can uh, write a paper or you can do a presentation. Like, yep, I'm doing that. The thing where I can just get up there and just kind of wing it and like read like the Cliff's notes or just like read the book jacket and see what everybody else talks about. I'll do that thing. That's for Steve. Um, that's for Steve. That's for me. And that's like also what like translated to invariably like getting into a profession where you're just making up shit as you go, kind of. So So when you're at Emerson and you're in a comedy troupe, um, are you I've been right I've been reading the Mike Nichols biography and sort of the whole, you know, Paul Sims and the Nichols and May relationship and sort of how Well, about him doing like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf and like had no idea what he's doing, right? Like 
okay, this is going to be my first big movie. I'm going to do like crazy. But, yeah. but also he'd been, you know, he'd been an actor and then he really got into comedy and, and improv and the ways in which that served him. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. Um, when you're in school, and I'm just thinking about this for people listening who are, you know, it's all so mystifying, right? Like, how do you write for a television show? We are all so good at watching television shows mm -hmm. and love them. How does someone go from sitting on the couch to actually coming up with hilarious things that these characters are saying? So were you an improv person or were you writing sketch comedy scenes? Uh, I did some improv, um, but I mostly was like sketch and video stuff, you know? Okay. Um, that's where most of my energy went to. And when I moved out here, I started doing more improv. Um, but then, and I always enjoyed it, but like it would, I was, I'm not the kind of person that I can just go and just like, I had a great show and it'll, it'll like really, when I have a good show, like I felt great. And whenever I'd have a bad show, like it would sit with me for days. And right. so it was like, that's not the kind of thing that would just like roll off my back. Right. But also I, I spent most of my, like, I guess I was 22. I, I, I got sick and I spent the rest of my twenties just like kind of had this chronic, chronic disease called uh, ulcerative colitis. So it became, that's another reason why I got into writing more and, and away from improv is like, I couldn't count on my body for all that because time. You must, like, that's really painful. It was not great. It was not, it was not a good, I wouldn't recommend it. It's not so a great you, When you say your twenties, that's how long it took to diagnose it. Like you did not know what was going on or, no, no, or are you told to live with it? I was diagnosed immediately and then it was like eight years until it just got progressively worse and I was like periods of remission but then the periods of remission would get smaller and smaller and smaller until like the last year and a half I was just like low grade sick for a year and a half and you know I if you want like a, a walking tour of bathrooms in LA I baby I can give it to you I know where That's all the bathrooms great. are you I could have, write oh, like yeah. a Thomas guide for for that Yes, and I, I have, um, oh, I'm, I'm very proud to say that I have uh, shipped myself in not one, not two, but three separate radio shacks. Can you even think where one is? I I don't know, but I somehow managed to find three, oh. like last minute, like, do you have a bathroom? Like, sorry, bro. I'm like, oh. Okay, well, let yeah, me ask you go. something because I thought we, w I didn't even know this was a thing for you. I, oh, I know it's a thing. So if someone, um, did you not know what was going on? Like, can you save someone some time and embarrassment at Radio Shack by mm -hmm. saying, here's how you know you have this? Well, I think if you, I, you're going to be embarrassed if you're just going to a Radio Shack at this point in your life. Like, I don't think that you should be, you shouldn't spend any time there okay. at all. Nothing um, to do so, with colitis, just one, your just life. Don't go to a Radio Shack. There's it's better terrible. off. Like okay. anybody who works at a Radio Shack is like, this is still here? Um, so A, don't do that, but okay. B, um, I just I lost know. my Radio Shack sponsorship and Oh God, well, you know, we can, maybe you can get Circuit City. Is that still yeah. around? Oh, that goes too. So. No, we'll exactly. do Best Buy. We'll do Best Buy. They're never going. Anywhere. Okay. Okay. They're safe. Uh, yeah. So uh, tell me. Well, no, I don't know. I mean, I think I get, so the whole thing culminated in, uh, in 2011 that where I was just finally sick enough and was so exhausted of being sick and um, had tried like every process under the sun. Like I did, you know, meditative work. I, I even did a healer who called me from like New Mexico, even though I was in LA, I did cold lasers. And I also did like every medical thing too. I did acupuncture. Right. I did um, infusions that helped for a while, but then like they stopped to help because they built up. And are you removing person. stuff from your diet and adding, like, are you doing all of the I did the every single diet. Okay. I did, I did a diet where uh, my, my uh, ex did fucking bless her for this shit, but I did a diet where I only ate this specific chicken soup that was like very, just hopefully like was, the goal was like allow your your body to rebuild and to reboot itself so i ate nothing but this chick homemade chicken soup for two months every meal and that is it doesn't sound that but after you're like when you're eating chicken soup for breakfast like on day 48 you kind of low grade lose your mind so yes. i like everything under the sun like i was making my own yogurts and shit um i did like raw and then only when you say bust my ex what is the connection to the chicken soup Oh, she just, she helped me. Oh, make she it. made it. Yeah. Well, she was yeah. just, she like kept me alive for a long time. Okay. I just uh, didn't understand the exact. Okay. Now I understand. No, no, no. She, yeah. So there you go. That's that. Sure. That's confusing. I should give contact. Yes. Yes. Um, but so I did everything and 
I got to a point where I, cause like two years before my, my doctor, my GI was like, you know, I think it's time to start thinking about, you know, maybe getting your colon removed. And I was like, fuck you. What? No, I'm not removing a major I'm a young organ. man and I need it for yeah, a long time. I'm 27. Get out of yeah. here. Um, but then two years later, uh, I was so exhausted that I was like, okay. Okay. So you, do you not have a colon as we speak right I now? Removed, I had removed in 2011. And uh, I can tell you, it's not, it's not a great time. But it did, it did give me my life back. You know, when I went in for my operation, I weighed like 88 pounds and I was probably shitting 30 times a day oh and, uh, and still working during that whole period. Yes. And, um, and that sucked because I had to have three operations, it's supposed to be two, but then you, you know, cause they do an operation where they, is this- You're a successful, <laughs> sick, we're gonna move on soon yeah. because- because this is not what you want to spend your time talking yeah, you about. Yeah, you because want we like, want to sell tickets to some movies. Hey man, um, whatever. If like if this if this opens up the uh, the the chronic disease faction of people because they're at home, it's going to be on demand soon. The bathroom's very close. Watch the movie. Okay, but what you another lead that just was buried and unearthed is that while you are going through this agony, you are also building an incredibly successful sitcom writing career. Uh, yeah, I was very fortunate. I was, um, I had a writing partner for a very long time. Um, incredibly, I mentioned earlier, but, uh, yeah. Annie, um, and, uh, was married to your friend from college. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Um, and she, you know, it was, it was, um, you know, the question you asked earlier, like how, what is a good way to, how do you get into starting to write television? Mm -hmm. One, you just have to just do it a bunch and acknowledge that the first probably four or five times you're going to do it, it's probably not going to be great, but it'll get better. Like, it's not a sexy answer, but you just have to do it a lot. That's really it. And you and, and Annie are a writing team? We were. Were we you broke a writing up, team? Yeah, we broke up like five years ago just because of different life places. Like, she wanted to work on different... And it gets you get to a place where, like, I'd have ideas and I was, like, really excited about it. And she'd be like, I don't know if I see it. And you're like, huh. And then she'd yes. have ideas. And I'm like, I don't... And then so now... We've actually like talked about working on other stuff, but now if we want to work on things, we can, but we're not beholden to. We have our own identities and we're able to work on different shit. And But so. on the shows that I mentioned, like Community and Happy mm -hmm. Ending um, and the Goldbergs, were you hired to write scripts together when you first started working? Yes, initially. And that's like a okay. great way in terms of getting into television. Um, sometimes it can be, I don't know if, I mean, only if, if you were somebody who likes to collaborate and if you, I mean, if you, you have to be somebody who likes to collaborate to work in television, A, right. but if you like that, and I always liked it for like sense of uh, accountability. And also I like, I felt, I'd always say like our first drafts were more like third drafts or fourth drafts because you just had this filtration process. Cause yeah. I'd write something and she'd be like, I think we can make it better by doing this. And like, Ooh, and we can make it better by doing that. So instead of having a first draft that I just fart out, you're having a first draft that's already been taken and polished a bunch and then polished again um so like and i also just like the accountability because a lot of times you know in the last year i've been like well today i'm gonna write and i'll sit in my chair and just stare, stare into the abyss and like three hours later feel like shit because all i did was like half a load of laundry and tried not to jerk off right. and it's this is my day, you know, as opposed to like when you have a, a partner is like, okay, we're meeting at noon and we're going to get shit done. So like, I like that early on in terms of just establishing. Yeah. And discipline. Uh, yeah. Discipline and like structure. And, and also, you know, it's exciting. Sometimes you have an idea and like somebody else responds to it and like, Ooh, and then you just, it's just like this frenetic intangible yeah. you know, uh, electricity to it. And that's really fun. So, so how did you get started with Annie mm -hmm. on the first staff writing like the first time you guys got paid to be staff writers on a tv show um that was mostly honestly uh mostly nepotism but Great. it was through um it was through you know we we started uh writing we were lucky enough to like bang out a very dumb but i think very fun movie when we were 24 25 and we were like it was back when there was like a spec market yep. and we, we managed to sell it and then that just kind of galvanized us as as a as a partnership so then we spent like the next like four years just kind of like hustling and like pitching shit and it was very fun but it would be like you know you do all this work and like oh they're going with you know somebody who has right written seven movies or Did you write um, pilots that got bought but weren't made before you no, got on another show no we i mean we we had we had some things in development but like mm -hmm. nothing 
you know, it was like those, those baby stuff. And it was all very exciting, but it was all just like, you know, we were not really proven in any regard outside of this one feature. And then we like, you know, we got hired to do some other stuff. Um, but it was like, you know, it was feast and famine. It was like a little bit of like, you'd work and you get payment, like, all right, cool. And then like, Ooh, when's the next one going to be? Um, and so you had just, a friend who was a showrunner. Well, we had a, we had a friend that, um, met through mutual friends and we had, he had sold a project um, through the same production company that we had sold our movie through. And he was just like this very delightful and incredibly funny. So I just became pretty tight buds with him and all of his friends. And he is just kind of a wonderkin that, you know, he had written the, the two or three movies and they all like got developed and none of them got made immediately. But then the first time he took out a project to sell, like he had never pitched anything before and like, oh, happy endings. Um, and, you know, I reached, I remember just reaching out to him. I was like, hey, if you're like, you know, looking for staff writers, he's like, would you want to do that? I thought you were like really happy doing movies. Like, yeah, I want to fucking do that. It would be nice to have like something consistent and also yeah. try something new. So, and you know, I think because that show, it's so joke packed and it's also about a, a bunch of young friends. Like he wanted to, it was important to him be, that he had like a lot of those voices represented in the room. So it was like, I remember on the first day, uh, the first day on, on the job, like one of the older uh, staff, one of the older executive producers who was like on a deal with Sony or whatever. I think they said like, I feel like I'm in the next Bravo show, uh, America's next top staff writer, because there was like eight staff writers and then like a bunch of EPs. They were just on yeah. Sony. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's where you learned yes. what it is to write on a sitcom. Yeah, I mean, it was like very much that show was very much like adults table and kids table because they would just like throw a bunch of the staffers like and just like go into a room and just like punch the shell. It's like take these take the scene and just pitch alts all day and then do that with the next scene the next. So just a really, a really, I think, honed the skills of writing sharper jokes. So you were not breaking story necessarily. You were. We were breaking story. Writing. We were breaking story, but it was also like a lot of the time it'd just be like, okay, when we're hunkering down, we just need to do a rewrite that takes like a lot of elbow grease. Like, let's just take like the four people who have, you know, produced 200 episodes of television. We'll do that. And we'll right. put these kids over here to like either blue sky new areas or pitch just jokes for days. And that was like, that was valuable. Cause it was like, I would, it was learning to like how to craft, even though like I've been write, writing a, a working writer for five yeah. six years, it was like a different thing. It's just a different animal. Um, so it's like learning how to, uh, just being sharper at, at joke writing. And then also like learning how to break story like faster and just becoming more facile in that regard. So it was like a great boot camp. Um, and then that just beyond that, just, you know, we were lucky enough to just work and work and work for a, a while. So, so you went from show to show to show. And yeah. then when you were on the Goldbergs, was Annie still your partner? She, we were partners for, oh, I don't remember the timeline, but we were definitely partners for the first year. And I think after the first year, I think we split up or maybe it's after the second year, but I think it's after the first year. Cause we'd already been at that point, we'd been writing together for I think 10 years. Um, Cause we started when we were like 24. Right, babies. Yeah. So, uh, and then, you know, she stayed on for a year and then she left to do other stuff. And I stayed on for another couple of years. And then she's actually was back through this last year, but she's done a, a slew of other things. She was on a typical and she was on future man and she's and she worked on indebted with with me and our friend dan levy his show on nbc last year so right, right. just kind of bounced around and it's been nice to like just it's been it's honestly it's been you know going back to the emerson thing it's very cool to see how uh you know all these babies we've known for 20 years like see you know the foundation be built and growing and growing and growing and just seeing like how you know even the, the you know the mesher schmidt i've not seen for eight years maybe i'm just it, impressed you can say his name that's all yeah, i want to say. It's, a, it's a you know it's it's a strong dramatic name but I, yeah, i've got it in there but just I like, like somebody who you know did such bad short, we did bad short films together when we were 18 and like fucking oscar winner last uh, night as we yeah. as we meet today the day after um when you think about you know i've i've talked to so many people on this show who I mean, who work in every aspect of, of making something. Um, but the, the word showrunner, um, when I'm learning, or I would say the different showrunners, whether I talk to them or talk to people who work with them, rooms are led in very different ways by different mm -hmm. people. There's a tone. And mostly the people who I've talked to um, are in the hour long format. And so- It's a different- um, it's, I think that already lends itself to a different kind of pressure. Yeah. Um, and I know 
you know, I've had Alex Gans and Marshall Hershkovitz. I mean, these are people who've been doing that world for a really long yeah. time. Um, but so I'd love to kind of talk to you about like, if you were going to run your show, if, if next time I see you, we're doing this and we're going to get to Long Weekend in a second because I loved it and I want to talk about it. Sort of what are the takeaways for you that if you were running the room and it's now the Stephen, you know, untitled Stephen Project, mm -hmm. like how, who would you be as a showrunner? How would you lead a room? What, what do you think works best for people to do their best work? Um, I think empowerment. Honestly, I think, mm -hmm. um, and that's the thing that I kind of might take away from, you know, uh, stumbling my way through through directing a movie. It was just um, really empowering people to to do their jobs. Because um, I think a lot of time that's not the case. And I think people just care so much more about it when they're giving mm -hmm. that freedom uh, and when they're giving a sense of agency and they feel like that they have some ownership over the project. Um, and I also think it just makes your job easier because it is a fucking beast to run a show. It really is. Um, there's, there's worlds in which it's easier. If you know, if you were on like a, a, a cable or streaming model where like you get to run a room for 20 weeks and then production and then editing, that's more manageable. But if you're doing all three of them at the same fucking time, it's wild. It's truly wild. And especially if you're doing like the network model, if you're doing 24 episodes, it's nuts. It's truly like a yeoman's task to take that on. It's, it's, there's so many moving pieces and it's really being like the CEO. If you break it down into like, you know, a yearly uh, yeah. uh, outlook, it's being the CEO of like $150 million company. Yeah. Um, you're, and you also have, you know, employ 200 people. Um, that's like a little bit of a, you know, a simplification of it, but that's essentially what it yeah. is. Um, but it's also, it's, it's, being the CEO of like something where you just, you constantly have to reinvent the company each week and then also polish that reinvention. So it's tough. So I think any way that you can lean into, I, I would just never be the person that needs to have my fingerprints over absolutely everything. Um, you would trust who you hired and that you hired them because. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's talent. You know, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, certain times you get into a room and like, well, I thought I was going to be able to lean into this person more and okay, that's not their best skill, but they're good at this. So, you know, but I think I, it just, you can't, you can't do it all. And if you try to do it all, you're going to drive yourself nuts or you're just yeah. going to work all the time and not sleep and that you're just going to be that person. And sometimes people like that. I've worked with people who love that sense of chaos and that's what they work best under. They work yeah. best under. Oh, they table reads in six hours and we only have one act. Fucking I flourish. That's not me. Like I, I think it's partially maybe because I'm a little lazy, but also because also I had such a period where like, I thought I was not gonna make it. So like, this is like, look, TV and movies, I think are honestly, I think they're fucking magic. I think they're so beautiful and wonderful and they got me through so much shit. And it's like even talking about them getting emotional, but mm -hmm. also it's dumb, it's make em ups. It's so stupid. But what a gift and a thrill that I get to do that for a living. That's amazing. That's the magic part, right? Um, but it's not more important than like your family or getting out to live and see sunshine and shit. That matters more. Sure. Like it's, so for me, it's like also that understanding of like, okay, what, what really matters here? Um, but I think, you know, I would love to like leave a room and say like, hey, let's, can we break a story here and come back in? And this a story is great. And maybe like, I just tinker with it and like, fucking great. Let's yeah. start working on it. You know, I think that's just going to be better. And that's honestly, you're just going to get in the weeds at some point. It's always going to be stressful. Even if you think like, I'm going to do it this and this and this, and it's going to be great. And we're going to be home by five. That's not always going to be the case. But if that's your goal, I think that's- But a they good did get home pretty early on Modern Family. Yeah, but they also, I mean, they they stopped shooting. They had like had seven hour days of shooting because they had the Verite documentary shit that they could right. Just have four cameras running right. and also they had is two that cheating groups. maybe that's cheating well that's cheating it's not cheating but it's, it's easier on the production side mm -hmm. i mean i'm jealous of it and also you know they were they had both those showrunners were each writing a room so they would just have you know we do one script we do other scripts so they basically kind of had two separate yeah. rooms i mean look it's a great model i god bless and they won a fuck ton of awards good for them it went well um, it went yeah. well but that's an anomaly for the most part. Yes, yes. It shouldn't, it shouldn't um, be. You should be able to get home by five, I think. Yes. Um, 
before we moved to the movie, Adam Goldberg really had everything videotaped in his entire life? Um, a lot of it, you know, it's, he was like, it's not everything. I mean, you know, you know, we cook the books a lot of like, okay, this story is about a prom and I have this footage of me in like a tux and that kind of works. Um, and then the rest is, is fabricated. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, but a lot of it was because, you know, he was, um, uh, uh, you know, he was the youngest, like his, his, the older brother is I think seven years older. So like, while well, he had two other brothers, he, you know, when the, your, your siblings are that much older, it's kind of like you're an only child a little bit because yeah. there's no sense of camaraderie. So I think a lot of times it was just him and a camera and just putting on plays and shit. And he was, you know, he knew from like a very, very early ages, a lot of us who end up in this vocation kind of do like, that's what I want to do. Even if you don't mm -hmm. know exactly what it looks like or what shape it's yeah. in. So I think he just made a bunch of shit. And also I think he, you know, was lucky enough that had, you know, not a Rockefeller, but had some means. So he had a camera in the eighties, which a lot of people didn't have. So that's, that's right. like an anomaly in and to itself. It's like the, um, what kid 90, the, uh, uh, what is her name? Um, Soleiman Monfry documentary just came out. Like she just taped everything in a period where nobody was doing that. So like that kind of footage and access is so fascinating because yeah. they all had fucking computers in her pocket, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess, I mean, you, you, you have all of, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours, you had them when mm -hmm. you went off to make your movie, um, yeah. which is from what I imagine and what I've read, like very personal and then mm -hmm. fictionalized in an incredible way. And you've made a like a real, like a gem, like you've made this small gem of a movie um, that I thought really captured um, sort of all the things we love about romantic comedies. Um, and, and yet also unlike most romantic comedies, it, it checked all the boxes of what we want to feel good with something. We watch the struggle and we watch the connection and mm -hmm. we watch the healing and the hope. And then there's like this great surprise at the end that is really wonderful. And we're not going to spoil it for your viewers your future viewers but it was exciting to see something so tried and true with its own unique voice at the same time um so it's very special and it's filled with beautiful people let's just start with that like even if it was a terrible movie oh yeah or your sound didn't work mm -hmm. Who cares? No, I mean, you can just look at Finn. I mean, Finn is just a matinee idol. And Zoe is, I think, one of the most- A matinee idol. Yeah, she she absolutely is. But I just, she's just so fascinating, everything about her to me. Uh, they're, they're all good looking. I mean, Jim Rash is, uh, is a handsome uh, handsome devil, K Casey and Damon. I mean, everybody's easy on the eyes. So right. yeah, watch it on so mute. Let's start with Get that. that. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you're having sound issues, don't stop. No, 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 you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And that's also like a thing, I, whenever like a, a younger um, writer will like give me something to read uh, and like sometimes, you know, like they'll introduce a character in like parentheses, like, you know, pretty, but doesn't know or whatever the fuck the thing they always talk mm -hmm. about. Pretty, but doesn't know it. Yeah, whatever. Or they'll just yeah. say like really handsome. Like, unless it's a character trait, you don't need to, if they're on movies and TV, they're probably fucking attractive. Don't worry about it. Don't say anything. No one cares. Exactly. You said like you got it to Finn Wittrock, who has, you know, a really, in, especially in recent years, like he's become very well known. Mm -hmm. I assume you had a casting director sort of helping you get this stuff out to people. Yeah. I mean, it was, that was the, um, the you know, it's, it's structured in a way that it's really just like, it's... I wanted it to feel like a bigger movie, but it's really just two people in a room talking, yeah. right? We made yeah. this for under 500 grand. So like I, and I knew I, it, when sitting down to write it, I wanted to like do everything I could to put myself in a position to be successful and like, mm -hmm. not necessarily in like making something good, hopefully, but actually getting right. to make it. Cause so oftentimes you write shit and it just doesn't go anywhere. It just languishes right. forever. So you so, wrote like, specifically with that in mind. I wanted Yeah, to so I wrote that and um, did it write, did you write that pretty quickly? Did it kind of spill out of you? It did. I, my process for the last, I don't know, eight years has uh, mostly, not always, but almost, almost everything I've written the last eight years has come from, uh, I'll get a little high and I'll get a massage and I'll just think through ideas. And that's my bougie ways of generation, generating ideas. And this was one of those things where like, I went into one of my rubdowns and like in the course of an hour, I came out and I was like, 
I have that movie figured out. Like not all the pieces, but I had a skeletal structure. I knew the twists, I knew the reveals. Like I didn't know exactly what the conversations were gonna be in the second act. And I didn't know a lot of the, some of the specifics, but I knew all the pieces of it. But you knew the secret about um, mm -hmm. Vienna's character. Yes, I had all While you were getting a massage. Yeah. Like that all happened in one. Yeah, and I think, I feel like most of the things that I have worked on that have been, that people have responded to or have been successful have been, at least at the, at the you know, at the genesis, have been like, like that. Like there's been like a frenetic energy and it's like laid out very cleanly. Um, and I think that's something that, it's not always the case, but I think, so much of writing or producing or directing, like of getting anything made is gonna be hard. Even when it's like easy and good, it's there's gonna be a period where it's gonna fucking suck and it's gonna right. be hard. So at least at the beginning, it should be fun and exciting and clean. And then, you know, you'll get into the place where like, oh fuck, I don't know what, what is my, what is the third act? You know, like that there's gonna mm -hmm. be, I think like there should be at least a period where it's like, just feels, you know, uh, just a, a bear running downhill. Just like it feels, fast and furious and fun. And from um, that massage to the movie I saw recently, like how long was the process? Uh, well, let's see. Um, you know, I just I just finished another movie that I'm taking out now. And that was kind of uh, the process of that was like, I had a I had like, ooh, this could be an interesting I, jumping off point for a movie or this could be an interesting setting or I'd like to do like a mystery at a retirement home. That could be cool. And just like, there was like four or five different ideas that kind of coalesced into like, oh, if I put this in A and B and make like a stew. So that was like the last one I finished on. This one was much more specific where I just like had a simple idea and just ran with it. Yeah. Uh, so, but like the idea, I just kind of like had it, I don't know, say January of 2016. And I just kind of sat on it and just kind of molded over, like wrote like a very loose outline. Yeah. Uh, probably like that month or two and didn't really dive into it and touch it till probably like October of 2016. And then I spent like that fall, like October, November, December, just like after work, just like nights and weekends writing it. And I finished it like, I think New Year's Eve-ish and then did a, sent it off to like my four people that, you know, read everything. Yeah. And then um, took a pass, just like a little, a little tweaks off of that. And then, then it was just like, send it out to like actors and stuff. Like I initially sent it out to a friend um, send it out to producers and then send it out to a friend who I knew, like, I just knew, like, if I was going to get this made again, like, I should just lean into, like, this is the time to, like, call in favors, you know? Yeah. Um, and this is because the first one. And after that, hopefully, if it's any good, then I'll, you can, like, you can do it yeah. again. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, and then that just kind of started the process because, you know, so much of this shit is just like getting one person to validate you. It's like the first job. If one person hires you, like the next job's easier. Just get that first foot in the door. So like when we got momentum with like somebody attaching as an actor, then it just felt like more real. And then even though he fell out, it became this thing where- oh, then it was but just then like, you had oh, had him. Yeah, Oops. and then like the, the train's rolling already, you know? And then it's like, okay, well, you have, you had a cast. Well, he fell out, but then we had a woman, we had a Vienna character. Yeah. And then she fell out but we had now we have another bar and then it just became this thing where like it, this is this is we're acting like it's going to happen as opposed to this like ephemeral like maybe yeah, yeah. theoretical thing so it was just like and did you have zoe and finn meet before you started filming did they sort of yeah we did um because you know uh i mean zoe's had such like a great couple of years but when we yeah. Um, prior to that, she had done a show on, on, on for Facebook called Strangers. Yep. And she'd done a couple other things, but you know, she was waiting a couple of things like Where'd You Go Bernadette was like sat in the can or sat like two years after shooting. Right. And now it's coming out. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, you know, so she was while like so dynamic and so compelling. And as soon as she did audition for me, it was instantly like, that's it. Done. Right. Everybody else, right. everybody else is wonderful, but this is it. This is my girl. But because you know, she hadn't done as much stuff at the time. We like wanted to do, and also just because it's just about so much about those people. We did a chemistry read. And as soon as they did the chemistry read, it was like, great, I love it. And then that was also galvanized even further when uh, 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 the second day of shooting, because the first day was just all Finn. And the second day she came on and it was like them doing like mostly like kind of, you know, goofy, but intimate stuff in the bedroom. And, you know, the first time we started rolling, it was just like, uh, just like this collective sigh of relief because it was uh it was just very charming like the whole crew and and producers and myself like fell in love with them as hopefully the audience would in the movie because they were just so um i don't know electric with each other and they liked each other they did they did they really liked each other and they also got to know each other because of the way it was structured mm -hmm. it was kind of 
they got to like learn more about each other as their characters did. So it was, they became like closer and more intimate as they went through the process. As we come to a close, I think it's mm -hmm. so fascinating, A, to just get to spend this time with you. And I think what's so amazing is that you who are so skilled at like jokes and funny one-liners and, and giving us that kind of release in life week after week. I think you've written, you know, you said something about showrunners who've done 200 episodes of television. I'm sure you have written more than 200 episodes of, of comedy television at this point. Yeah, right so, there. right? Like, mm -hmm. by the way, that's incredible, right? It's but, nice. It's it's a, yeah. but the thing that really moved me is that the this story which it, which also came from you is so vulnerable and so open and also funny but mm -hmm. also deeply rooted in in this desire to connect like really to connect when we feel broken and we feel like no one's hearing us right or or, or that feeling of just feeling alone and there's lots about being alone that's great and important to our growth growth but loneliness that's not good and I feel like you took this character, this beautiful character of Finn and allowed him to be, not a Finn, Finn Whitrock played Bart. Um, like Bart was so human and so exposed and, and this character of Vienna really sees him. Mm -hmm. And I just think like, wow, like Steve, am I saying your last name right, Basalone? Basalone, yeah. Basalone. Like you can do both those things and and more, I'm sure. And how thrilling that at this point in your life, you were kind of bold enough and courageous enough to go, I got the things I need. I'm sure you're living comfortably. And now I'm gonna pivot in this other way and kind of expose myself. And it's really, it's really inspiring. Oh, and, thanks, man. Yeah, and the film is really beautiful. And I don't mean for listeners to not understand, it's also, hilarious at times in all the ways that are very very satiating for people who love comedy yeah it's really deep and really beautiful and magical and kind of aspirational and um very much what the doctor ordered for right now for what we need so congratulations I mean, thank you I, I i mean that is very very kind i really appreciate it i think um I think that is, I think that is true. I think left to my own devices, I'm always kind of lean into like emo boy stuff a little bit more, especially like that's a part of the reason I wrote this is because, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough, incredibly fortunate enough, like, you know, be a working, consistently working writer and a bunch of shows that did well for, for a long time. Yeah. But you know, you do any job long enough, even your dream job, it becomes a job. And it be after a while it became like, you know, a little bit of like exhausting of just like, well, I'm working really hard to uh, service somebody else's voice yeah. and so that's i wrote this other thing in order to like have you know allow well, you're the showrunner now mind. you're the guy yeah. we talked about exactly um, so okay and where do people see it like where are all the places like i got an incredible screener delivered to yep. me but how did yep. how did people watch this beautiful movie i believe may 11th it'll be out on demand and i think that's going to be apple and amazon and whatever your cable provider will be available there so that's it's be available for purchase for i think like two weeks and i think it's the 25th it'll be okay. available for rental and all of the places and then I, there's no timeline that it's been at least not been told to me yet, but you know, sometime after that, a month, two months, whatever it may be, it'll be streaming somewhere. Um, and Sony, I know Netflix just bought a bunch of the Sony catalog, so maybe it'll end up there. That would be great. Cause I think that's, I just, you know, as much as it was like a very weird and stilted time to release a movie into theaters, it was very cool that it got to come out in theaters. Yeah. And it was also very cool that like, you know, to what you were saying, like when I wrote this movie, it was very much, Finn's character Bart was like very much like a, a conduit for myself, like coming mm -hmm. after like this very tumultuous time mm -hmm. and coming out of that and trying to like, you know, and finding hope in, 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 you know, light and darkness. Right. And that was very personal, but I think that's coming out now. It's like that character is kind of a conduit for all of us. We've yes. all been through such a fucking yes. shitty, weird, wild yes. year, demoralizing, sometimes great, but we're here. So I think we're but all think kind about of it. Your for... film has isolation and love and heartbreak and loss and hope and nervous breakdowns, right? Like all the things that we all either Felt have had in yeah. very real, you know, um, uh, mental health ways um, mm -hmm. and, and also just 
or just circumstantial the last circumstantial year. Circumstantial for the moment. Yeah. Um, all right, what's, and also, of course, you can see that your local Radio Shack. That yes, Radio Shack is always, I mean, that's, I have an exclusive deal with Radio Shack where you can, you know, you, you can get it on one of the old uh, TVs that you, your dad used to take to the, the football games. With the antenna on top. With the antenna um, so they could watch another game whether at one yes. game. Like, what the fuck yes. is that? Sure. Well, that's how we're going to watch Long Weekend on our yeah. little portable television. What is a little known fact about you? Oh, um, I feel like I've leaned into most of the stuff because it's mostly the personal things. Yeah. Uh, little known fact. My um, my great uncle um, was, uh, you remember there was the, the HBO miniseries Band of Brothers, right? Yeah. And then after that, there was the one that focused on the Pacific side of the war called The Pacific, That's the Steven right. Spielberg thing. My great uncle was one of the uh, the main characters in that. It was uh, Sergeant Gunnery John Bazalone, who was a, a big, um, you know, naval man who was, I think, the first person to ever win two Congressional Medals of Honor. And, he, you know, there's a Bazalone Road uh, in, in outside of San Diego and Camp Pendleton. Like, I have gotten out of a speeding ticket or I've gotten, like, you know, a warning twice because I got pulled over by cops who were, like, Navy men. Or, or Marines, rather, who and were they just, recognized your name. Yeah, he's like kind of like a Paul Bunyan in that world. Um, That's quite a legacy. So, yeah, I mean, I you know I am five uh, ten uh, and pale, and uh, you know he was uh, just a genuine war hero who sold bonds. And like after he got out of the war, he's like, I want to go back. And like what? Um, so you know, I don't think I have that in in my DNA, but it's a cool story. Wow, that's incredible. Um, well. Thank you for coming on today. It, is, what, it was really such a pleasure. It was great to talk to you. Uh, I, I look forward to hearing it and thank you so much. You're welcome. One more thing. So many of you have asked, how do you donate to the podcast? Well, it could not be easier. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. Instructions are clearly laid out. And I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous 200 and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make 200 more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. The episode was edited by Nicholas Klar. We recorded in New York City. And the Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded by Georgia Famusa with backups by Caleb Famusa. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.